0: As you head toward the cross, you more and more become aware of the love of Jesus Christ. That's our theme here in these weeks preceding and just after Easter. Michelangelo was a genius, as we all know. He excelled as a sculptor, a painter, a designer, and an architect. His statues of Moses and David, to name but a few, are recognized widely and appreciated. But what a lot of folks don't know, in Florence, uh, Italy, an entire hall is filled with his unfinished sculptural works. Many, many that he never finished. As great an artist as he was, he left much undone. Well, the good news is Jesus Christ left no unfinished work. In fact, as we think of the love of Christ and his purpose for coming, it is so thrilling to know that on the cross, Jesus said, It is finished. C.H. Spurgeon said, If there is but one subject more than Another upon which I wish ever to speak, it is of the love of Christ, which of course caused him to finish his work. But if there is one which quite baffles me and makes me to back from this platform, utterly ashamed of my poor feeble words, it is this subject. This love of Christ is the most amazing thing under heaven, if not in heaven itself." That love has been demonstrated in so many ways, but I want to focus this morning on the fact of it being seen through his praying. Robert Murick McShane, that godly young man, said, if I could hear Christ praying for me in the next room, I would not fear a million enemies. Yet distance makes no difference. He is praying for me. He ever liveth to make intercession. This morning I would like to look at the high priestly prayer of Jesus Christ found in John chapter 17. I want to look just at the conclusion of this prayer, if you'll turn there with me this morning. This is the true Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer as we normally know that title, it speaks to the model prayer, the outline of how we should pray. And in fact forms the outline in many ways of our hour with God that we suggest to folks in their own personal prayer lives. But this is an actual exchange uh, with the Lord to his Father. And uh, it is uh, just a tremendously encouraging prayer. In fact, if you were to read this one chapter every day, it would keep you encouraged to really get a hold of the depth of Christ's prayer for us. The training of his disciples is now concluded. He finished that up in the upper room on Mount Zion in the southern part of Jerusalem. And they have been heading down after the upper room discourse. In fact, the teaching of chapters 15 and 16 of John were on the road, a little pathway down from Mount Zion, going down to the Valley of Kidron, heading uh, over west, uh, excuse me, east to the Garden of Gethsemane. And somewhere along this pathway, Jesus Christ prays this prayer in the hearing of his disciples. Uh, This is not his prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane, not my will but thine be done. This is previous to this. And in many ways, this is the committing of his disciples and himself to the Father as he is about to accomplish his work. His passion would begin in just a matter of a couple of hours as the guard from the Sanhedrin under Roman power would come and apprehend him and take him to Caiaphas's palace. And so he is um, commending uh, his disciples to the Lord and they get to hear this. This is a lot like you might expect a godly dying parent to commend his and to share his heart with his children before he goes home to be with the Lord. Now the thing that marks this prayer that's so unusual is the simplicity of it. Do you realize that those disciples and of course we just the same through inspiration of the Holy Spirit we're listening into the Son talking to the Father. And it's amazing how just simple and profound this prayer was. And uh, to think that we have the right to be involved in, in listening to the, the all-powerful God's communication, the Father and the Son, in that great unity is an amazing thing. And let me just say, as we've already mentioned a couple of times This gives you a little idea of how he prays for each one of us. In fact, in this high priestly prayer, he prays for all that would come later. And so he prayed in chapter 17 for you. Isn't that something? And he's praying for you right now. In fact, he is making intercession for us to allow the Spirit of God to give us all that he obtained through the cross. The desire... And the depth of Christ's love for us and what He wants for us is beyond our ability to really articulate. It's an amazing thing. So this this prayer is just glorious. But I want to go just to the conclusion of the verse. We're going to look at the last two verses. But I'm going to back up a few verses before and read the entire uh, final words of Christ here in this prayer. And so if you'll go with me to verse 22 please of chapter 17 of John. And the glory which thou gavest me, I have given them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, and thou in me, that they may be perfect in one. And that the world may know that thou hast sent me, and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. What a statement. Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am that they may behold my glory which thou hast given me, for thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world hath not known thee, but I have known thee, and these have known that thou hast sent me, and I have declared unto them thy name, and will declare it, that the love wherewith thou hast loved me may be in them, and I in them. That concludes the prayer. What a conclusion. And so I want us to see the love of God through his prayer for us. First of all, just simply the revelation of God's love here. In verses 20 through to 24, you see the heart of the Lord Jesus desiring that we would be brought into a unity with the Trinity. That we would be one with each other because of our kindred spirit based upon truth and based upon the Holy Spirit indwelling us, but that we would be drawn into a wonderful union with the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And of course, we know that that is possible because of the indwelling of the Spirit of God, the third person of the Trinity at Pentecost, based upon the finished work of Jesus Christ, His resurrection and ascension to the Father. And so that is his heart cry that we would know his love, that we would realize all that God has done for us from the foundation of the world, that our lives would be dramatically changed by not only the knowledge of it, but by the actual unity of experiencing it with God himself. There's a lot in that, isn't there? And then... He gets to verse 25, all based upon what I just read to you in 22 to 24. O righteous Father, the world hath not known thee, but I have known thee. And these have known that thou hast sent me. God's love is not comprehended humanly. Now we know love here on this earth. We know the human Uh, affection for one another and uh, there is a benevolence uh, in uh, with mankind that's a wonderful thing because we are made in the image of God. But that is even in its essence is selfish because we enjoy loving and being loved. But it is still something so we see a little bit of that Last evening, I was looking forward to just getting home from being with the senior class. Flew out of Phoenix. Just felt like, I mean, I knew because it said so. I was going on a nonstop flight to Milwaukee. Not so. Uh, Someone had a heart attack in the front of the plane, and uh, we had quite a scramble. There was a doctor that just gave uh, herself totally to rescuing that lady, and we landed in Colorado Springs. And uh, But when I watched all of that, I mean, there was probably about four or five medical personnel. There was all of the uh, people there on Southwest Airlines uh, were working very much together. The entire plane, no one was complaining that we were having to make an emergency landing. And um, and so everything turned out well. Uh, They were able to uh, keep her going. And um, we got word back a little bit later that uh, uh, she was... Doing well, and asked the people on the plane to pray for her. I thought that was very interesting. But you watch that. We had to stay three hours there at Colorado Springs. The only thing was nice was I could see Pike speak, so that was the only good thing. And I figure, enjoy every little bit of life that you have there. And, uh, but uh, uh, it was, uh, you see a little bit of that, the image of God in people's lives. However, as the evening went on, Grumbling began to come. (laughs) All the benevolence was beginning to fade away. And uh, Southwest Airlines was scrambling to keep everybody happy. But anyway, uh, that is the best that man can do. But we don't really understand the true, perfect love of God. See, to us, it's conditional. Love is based upon feelings, based upon experience. We know that it goes in and out. And uh, we don't have confidence except for people that are really committed to us in love. But here it says, O righteous Father. Here we have the emphasis, only time used in the entire New Testament this way. The Lord Jesus himself is saying, Father, only you are holy. Um, And uh, it is a, a very important uh, aspect of understanding the, the c- credibility and the, uh, of God's love and our ability to have confidence in it. I love what A.W. Tozer says, "...neither the writer nor the reader of these words is qualified to appreciate the holiness of God. Quite literally, a new channel must be cut through the desert of our minds to allow the sweet waters of truth that will heal our great sickness to flow in." We cannot grasp the true meaning of the divine holiness by thinking of someone or something very pure and then raising the concept to the highest degree we're capable of. God's holiness is not simply the best we can inf- uh, that excuse me, God's holiness is not simply the best we know infinitely bettered. We know nothing like the divine holiness. It stands apart, unique, unapproachable, incomprehensible and unattainable. The natural man is blind to it. He may fear God's power and admire his wisdom, but his holiness he cannot even imagine. Now, I read all of that because I just wanted us to think about the enormity, the, uh, the absolute perfection of God's holiness, not tainted at all by self-sin, anything finite. God is perfect and God is holy. That is why we can have 100% confidence in the love of God. Because He is perfectly holy. And that's the emphasis you see here with the Lord Jesus. O oh, righteous Father, the world has not known you. In fact, the world not only, speaking of all of us, humanly speaking, cannot, not only can we not understand the matter of the righteousness and holiness of God because we are sinful from our conception, but the world is being blinded by Satan himself. 2 Corinthians 4.4 In whom the God of this world, speaking of Satan, has blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. So we're blinded, we do not understand God's holiness, therefore we're very insecure in His love, not understanding how perfectly He can love us. However, if we will truly take what the Scripture has given us about Christ, well we can begin through the power of the Holy Spirit to understand the love of God. God's love is comprehended through Christ. He says, O righteous Father, the world hath not known thee, but I have known thee. He, he of course, being God himself, perfect unity. And these have known that thou hast sent me, and I have declared unto them thy name. Christ knows the Father. He is God. And therefore, through Christ, we can begin to understand the greatness of his love. I tell you, what a precious thing to have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The inspired uh, revelation of the life of Christ here on this earth. In his perfect humanity, we begin to have our eyes opened as to the perfection of the love of God for us. we, We will understand if we look at what Christ is saying, that God is love. 1 John 4, 7, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God, and knoweth God. He that loveth knoweth not God, for God is love. Now you think about it, all the other gods, and all the other religions that Satan has work together, all the Greek, Roman, Egyptian, Babylonian, all of the modern-day gods, and there are thousands and thousands of them. None of them do you think of love when you think of them. You think of fear, often hideousness. You, you, have, uh, you see power, uh, ruthlessness, but you don't think of love you see, Jesus Christ demonstrated the love of God through His life and in revealing Himself to us. And that brings to the, number two, realization of God's love. Christ declared the very person of God. Verse 26 again, "...and I have declared unto them thy name, and will declare it." Christ declared the very reality of who God is because He is God." Now one of the key passages that helps us understand this if you want to just flip back to uh, John chapter 14 he was having the exchange there in the upper room with his disciples and in verse 8 Philip saith unto him, Lord show us the Father and it suffices us. Jesus saith unto him have I been so long with you and yet hast thou not known me Philip? He that has seen me has seen the Father and how sayest thou then show us the Father What we have here is the fact that if those disciples had fully understood who Christ was they would have understood who the Father was The triune God is one the heart the love the holiness the compassion the long suffering the mercy the truth the wisdom of God Almighty is clearly demonstrated through the life of Jesus, and uh, and what he uh, has done. In fact, it's demonstrated. He demonstrated the person of God. He was the Word. You see in Christ, the servant, we looked in chapter 13 last week of his washing the disciples' feet. This Can you imagine the creator God, the all-powerful God, stooped to serve, doing the lowest of all services that could ever be done on the human race to wash someone's feet. Not even Jewish serf- servants did that. But he did that to show a complete lack of a need for himself. He was completely given to meet our need, a perfect love. It was demonstrated in his revealing of himself, John 1, 14, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten Father, full of grace and truth. The Word, the Logos. Jesus reveals the very heart of God. He is the revelation of God. He became flesh, He became one of us so He could die for us, but He also reveals to us the fullness of the Godhead through His very person. But of course, the ultimate is the sacrifice that He gave based on the love of God. We know who God is by the cross. Let me say that again. We know who God is. We know God's love. We know God's holiness by the cross. You see, the cross tells us we have a holy God that is absolutely just and he will not tolerate sin. That in his presence there can be no sin. And yet we see the long-suffering and goodness and mercy of God that all comes through his absolutely sacrificial, selfless love by putting himself on that cross as our substitute, becoming one of his own creation so that we could have our sins paid for and receive the righteousness of God himself so that we could be with God forever That was the deepest of all demonstrations that will ever be throughout all eternity of the righteousness and holiness of God all at one time. I've often said it, but folks, whenever you're tempted to think nobody loves you, just think about the cross. That should settle that. Oh, people go in and out. We're all fickle, but God is not. He decided before he created the human race, before he created you, that he was going to die for you. He marched toward that cross. All the Old Testament is the preparation for what Jesus Christ did on that fateful day. He was the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. He was absolutely committed. Nothing would deter him. That is love. Love is when a person is willing to give everything and be undeterred from doing it and uh, is completely given to the welfare of someone else. Do you realize the only reason we have problems in our relationships is that we're about ourselves instead of really wanting to meet the needs of others? When the love of God is, uh, comes through us, there's no problem in marriage. There's no problem in families. There's no problem in churches. There's no problem in any other relationships. And so Christ's love is manifested through the cross well, that wonderful story of the orphan lamb. A Shepherd attempted to try to get a ewe to uh, nurse and take care of an orphan lamb. Mother had died, but the and this ewe had uh, had her own lamb had died. And, but she rejected the foreigner would not take care of the little uh, the little lamb. In desperation, the shepherd skinned the. Uh, lamb that had died from this ewe, and then carefully sewed that uh, skin all over the uh, uh, starving orphan. Immediately recognizing that scent of her own offspring, she began uh, to uh, give life to that little orphan. Because of the dead lamb, The stranger who deserved nothing was adopted and made a member of her family with all the privileges. Now it's but a weak illustration. But folks, because of the blood of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, we are able to receive all the privileges of Jesus Christ. We have been more than just adopted in. We have become actual children of God. And we are part of His family. And our righteousness is His family. And our privileges uh, are come from the very privilege that Jesus Christ has with the Father. You read this high Priestly prayer. It's all about all of us receiving everything that Jesus has. When Jesus gives, He gives everything. That is love. Lord Nelson reported to the British Admiralty his great victory over the French fleet in the Battle of the Nile. And when he reported it, he said the victory was not large, a large enough word to describe what had taken place. And my friend, when we think of the victory on the cross, that victory of love, the word victory isn't enough. The word conqueror is not enough. He is for us more than a conqueror so that we can be more than conquerors. And so the love of Christ was clearly demonstrated on the cross. And so that's what the Lord Jesus, I've declared unto them thy name and will declare it. And the final aspect to the reality of God's love, that the love wherewith thou hast loved me may be in them and I in them. Several weeks ago at the Victory Conference, I spoke on the fact that God the Father loves me and loves you as much as he loves the Son and the Spirit. We are actually loved with the same love that the Trinity has for each person of the Trinity. Folks, if you will meditate on that, your life cannot be the same. It is, it is the deepest of all truths that can ever go into the heart of mankind, that our sins can be forgiven through Christ, and that we will be drawn, if we trust him by faith alone, we are drawn into a relationship of love that is so powerful that there's no way to humanly comprehend it. The only way to comprehend it is to open your heart to God and after you've come to know Christ, depend upon Him by faith, open your heart to Him and the Spirit of God will produce the fruit of love and the realization of love and you will become in kindred spirit with God. It's so sad to see Christians battling the very Savior that saved them when instead they could be experiencing the love that God the Savior has for them. And so we need a genuine comprehension. That well known illustration about Harry Rimmer, he took a Native American named Will Snow to see the Pacific Ocean for the very first time. And uh, uh, Will was, uh, the vastness of the o- ocean just staggered his imagination. He said, What's the name of this lake? He said, Well, and he said, The largest lake I've ever seen was Clear Lake back home. Well, Dr. Rimmer said, this is not a lake, it's an ocean, the Pacific Ocean. Well, how big is it? And so Dr. Rimmer did his best to try to explain the vastness of the Pacific Ocean. And he could at least begin to give a human explanation. But my friends, try to explain the love of God for you, you can't begin to explain it. It's greater than the ocean. and But yet... The prayer of the Apostle Paul for us as believers, Ephesians 3.18, that we may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height and to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge that ye may be filled with all the fullness of God. We can't understand it, but the Spirit of God can enable us to understand the vastness of it. And again, I want to encourage you to go to the cross and realize everything that that event explains about the character of your God. It is real. Now, you know, there are folks here, and many, many Christians, who have a hard time accepting this because they have been hurt. And they impose upon God their human experiences, the insecurities, the wounds, the disappointments, being let down by people that said that they loved them, and uh, the problems uh, within relationships. And so it's sometimes very difficult to really accept it. But, you know, your life will change if you will accept it. This is the prayer of Jesus Christ to the Father. Let me read that last phrase again that the love wherewith thou hast loved me may be in them and I in them. I've declared this unto them Father, make this real. Now that's what you have going on in the Trinity. God wants you to know it. Do not be bound by your past, do not be bound by all of the hurts, do not be bound by your relationship experiences. Those people in your past are not at all like God. Go to the Word of God, and there you will have the proper conception of who God is and how much He loves you and how much Jesus Christ loves you. Mark Guy Pierce used to tell the time he overheard one of his children admonishing the other, you better be good or your daddy won't love you. calling the boy to him, said, son, that's, that's, isn't really true, but you won't love us if we're bad, will you? The boy asked. Yes, I'll love you whether you're good or bad, but there will be a difference. When you're good, I will love you with a love that makes me glad. And when you are not good, I will love you with a love that hurts a little. (laughs) And uh, that God loves us good or bad, and he's going to work to bring you to himself. And all that ought to cause us to love one another. Justin Martyr, one of the early church fathers, says, We used to value above all else money and possessions. Now we bring together all that we have and share it with those who are in need. Formerly we hated and killed one another because of a difference in nationality or custom. Now since the coming of Christ we all live in peace. We pray for our enemies and seek to convert those who hate us. Like the song says, what a wonderful change in my life has been wrought since Jesus came into my heart. I'm telling you folks, when you just live every day with the assurance of the love of God, when you understand how much He loves you, when you realize that through your difficulties and your disappointments and the sin that you're having to deal with, God's right there ready to work, to fellowship with you, to, to deal with those problems, uh, to overcome them, and uh, and... and to allow experiences to wake you up at all of it's his love and you can be fully secure in that love and when you get a hold of that then you, you can't help but want to pour out that love by the power of God to others and finally just the thought this is a personal indwelling love last phrase again thou hast loved me that the love wherein, wherewith thou hast loved me may be in them and I in them Colossians 1.27, that very Savior of love to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles which is Christ in you. The hope of glory. This Savior that hung on the cross, this Savior that loves us with an eternal love, this Savior that has this unconditional, sacrificial, merciful heart toward us, has the Spirit of God in us, in our very spirit, to reveal Him. And so we have the very person of love in us. That's what it says. I in them. Manifesting what? The love of God. When you get a hold of the fact, you've got, you've got the person of love. You have him. Not the thought about him. Not him up there somewhere. Maybe he's going to think about you. But he's with you. During World War II, a number of 12 and 13-year-old boys were forced into inhuman, inhumane and Uh, Terrible camps with rough jobs to perform. Hungry and suffering. When the war ended most had lost track of their fathers and mothers and had wandered about without any uh, food or shelter. As uh, part of the program after uh, to help these young people uh, after the war many were placed in tent cities and Here doctors worked with them and they found that many of the boys would awake in the middle of the night screaming in terror. One doctor had the idea for handling the fear. After feeding the boys a good meal he put them to bed with a piece of bread in their hands which they were told to save until morning. The boys began to sleep soundly because after so many years of hunger they finally had the assurance of food for the next day. Well, that's a sweet story. We have the assurance of everything in us. You go to bed at night with the indwelling Holy Spirit. And and you can have the relationship with Christ as you go off to sleep. When you wake up in the morning, he is there. All that you need to give you security and purpose and life and the depth of the need for fellowship and the power to overcome sin and the power to overcome all of the issues of the past. You have him. It's not it. It is not some principle. It is him. And you have him all the time. That's what Jesus allowed the disciples to hear in this simple high priestly prayer. You're going to go through a lot, he was thinking to the, about those disciples. But I will be with you. I will be with you until the end. Let's bow for prayer.